0: Good morning. Good morning. It is such a pleasure to be with you again. Um, I'm grateful that we are inside this time because uh, we'd be outside with umbrellas or something to that sort. Listen, I want to thank you all for having us. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Wade uh, for inviting me out. Listen, I really appreciate your pastor. Um, he has been a great friend and inspiration to me. As a young church planner coming behind him, uh, he has been very inspirational. And there's not a time that I can't call him, and I'm sure y'all know this that he uh, is not there for me. Uh, if I need to meet and talk, if I need encouragement, I can call him, and he's doing it. And brother, I just want to tell you how much I love you, and I appreciate him. Can we appreciate Dr. Wade this morning? <laughs> Y'all are blessed to have a man after God's own heart. It's just a blessing uh, to be here. Uh, we planted the Pursuit Church three years ago, this past Easter, and uh, we have been blessed to see God do some miraculous things. We are intentionally multicultural, and we um, just become multigenerational over the last couple of years. And so that's a blessing because the first year, our average age was 24.6. My wife and I were the elders, literally, of the church at 34 and 35, and so it has been a blessing to see God send us out um, more mature believers. Listen, I need your prayers for two reasons. Number one, our church has taken on a project. We have a mission house. We call it the Pursuit House of Hope. I also want to thank you for partnering with us to make this, this dream become a reality. We've been rehabbing this thing for two years. Will y'all pray and ask the Lord to, to speed up the process? <laughs> uh, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Amen. And so just pray for us that we can get this mission house. Uh, our dream is to bring some young men in this house to teach them what it means to be urban missionaries, to teach them what it means to plant churches. Secondly, will you pray for me as I embark on an opportunity that, that uh, I got last year to go back to Brazil this year? Um, there are 4,900 IMB missionaries. 25 of them look like me. And so my goal as a a preacher is to get more people that look like me on the mission field. And so we're taking six uh, brothers that look like me that have been kissed by the sun. We're taking them back to Brazil. And uh, we're going to minister to the Quilombo people who are... Uh, Brazilian, uh, African-Brazilian, they're they're descendants of African-Brazilian slaves from Africa who escaped the slave trade in 1888, and with that, um, we are going down to to minister to them. I brought three of my favorite, four of my favorite people in the world, Uh, my wife, will will y'all just wave your hand, my wife of 17 years? Y'all stand up so they can see you, please. My wife... My youngest, Macaulay, who's my diva, my middle, the the middle one is Mackenzie. She's the oldest. Y'all can sit down. (laughs) She's the oldest and the boldest. And of course, my son, who is second to none. Uh, Praise God for them. So grateful to have them in my life. If you have a Bible, will you please turn it with me to the book of John, chapter 15? And um, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. The word reads, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for... This opportunity, this chance to uh, speak with your people, God, you never promised to bless Mondonico's preaching, but your word says that your word will not come back to you void. And so, God, I pray that as we look at this scripture, that it will, God, take root in our heart, take root in our minds, and God, I pray that it will challenge us to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I am a Starbucks fan. Um, I like Starbucks. A couple of years ago, I was in Starbucks and I just looked at the menu and I said, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to step out on faith. Right. And so I said, let me try some tea. And so the young lady suggested uh, chai tea. Now, I am not a uh, coffee. Ex- I mean, I'm not a, a tea expert. But one of the things that I found out about tea is is something. I found out that there are two types of tea drinkers, two types. First type of tea drinker is what I call a dipper. And basically what a dipper does is a dipper just takes the tea and just play around with it, you know, just dip and dip and dip. And you know, sometimes a dipper, some of y'all may be dippers, right? Uh, so, and, and sometimes a dipper will just take the tea bag and, and wring it out, right? That's a dipper. But there's another type of tea drinker. This type of tea drinker is what I call a steeper. And basically what a steeper does is the steeper takes the tea bag, drops it in the water, puts a top on it. And simply walks away now there 's obviously a difference in a dipper and a steeper. The problem that I have with the dipper is the dipper is always trying to make something happen with the tea. He talk, a, a dipper is always playing around in the tea, if you will, and and wringing the tea out. A dipper is trying to make things happen, but a steeper. Sit back, and allow the tea to steep, and it just watches the thing happen. This is important because as Christians, we have to learn not to be dippers, but to be steepers. See, this tea is abiding in the water. The difference in these two teas, after a while, this tea is going to become very dark. It's going to reach its full potential. This tea is going to Get the flavors and, and, and all of the flavors of the tea is going to be very, very strong. Why? Because it is abiding in the water. This dipper, which is trying to make things happen, it's not going to be as strong. As Christians, we are called to abide in Christ. And abiding in Christ don't cost you anything from this perspective. You, ha- you don't have to do anything but, like the teabag, sit and abide. When we examine this text, we're going to see that God is asking us to do one thing. And that's simply to abide in Christ. Your Christian walk begins and ends with you abiding in Christ. What does it mean for us to abide in Christ? Well, when we look at this text, when we come to this text, when we look in John, this text is the last of the seven I am statements. For instance, in John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. That's John chapter 10, verse 11. In John chapter eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, this famous verse, Jesus says, I am what? The way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. When we come to this text today, in John chapter 15, Jesus says something that's very interesting. He doesn't say, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. As Jesus is preparing to march to Calvary's cross for you and I, he brings the disciples. There are 11 disciples around him at this point. And he says to these 11 disciples, I am the true vine. As you know, in chapter 13, Judas is about to betray him. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. But as he's preparing to go to the cross, he reminds the disciples that he is the true Vine. There are four elements to this text, four elements that are very important. Number one, the first element that Jesus teaches is about the vine. The second element that he teaches is about the vine dresser. The third element that Jesus teaches is about the branch. And fourthly, he teaches us about the fruit. If you don't mind, look at chapter 15 again with me at verse 1. Jesus is talking about the vine and the vine dresser. He says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The first element that we recognize in this text in verse 1 and verse 2 is that our sovereign God is supreme over everything. How many of you know I'm talking right? All right, now if y'all talk to me, I'll I'll be done a lot quicker. So he says, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This whole process of the vine dresser or us abiding in the vine or being branches abiding in the vine begins and ends with God, the father and God, the son. Number two. The branch and the fruit. Look at verse two with me. Every branch. In me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Some are bearing fruit, and some are not bearing fruit. The vine dresser does two things in this process. There's two things that the vine dresser does number one, he removes branches, and number two, he prunes branches. Jesus says, That if you are not abiding or if you're not bearing fruit, the vine dresser, which is God the father, will remove you from the vine. But if you're bearing fruit. Then the fruit that you are bearing, he will prune you so that you will produce more fruit. Verse six tells us. What happens to the fruitless branch? It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burn. This verse here in verse six is connected to verse two. The branches that are not bearing fruit are immediately cut off and thrown into the fire. We clearly see this in the life of Judah. When you look at the 12 disciples, you see that the 11 are learning about what it means to bear fruit, while Judah is, Judas is out betraying Jesus. When you look at the disciples that are with him, the 11, and you look at Judas, Judas represents the branches that are being cut off and thrown into the fire. The, the 11 disciples represents those that are abiding in Christ. So in verse one and two, Jesus lays his foundation for the source of making it possible for us to bear fruit. He has identified himself and God, the father. He is the vine and the father is the vine dresser. So he moves it to a natural progression and that natural progression is you and I. Verse one and two has everything to do with the father and the son But verses three through five, I'm sorry, verses four through five has all to do with you and I. If you don't mind, look at it with me. We're talking about the branches that are abiding in the vine. Verse three, already you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, he and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you prove to be a disciple of Jesus? By bearing fruit. The main idea in verses one and two again is our sovereign God and his son, Jesus, who are doing all the work. The next couple of verses, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, has all to do with you and I. We are not asked to do any work. All we are asked to do is to abide. In verses 3 through 8, Jesus uses the personal pronoun you 12 times. Now, when Jesus uses a personal pronoun that many times, that tells you and I that he's talking to you and I. He means exactly what he is saying. He's repeating this this phrase about you. You abide. You abide in me. You can do nothing without me. The main idea is this. We must abide in Jesus. Jesus tells us one thing. He says, abide in me. He's not asking us to do any work because he And the Father are the ones doing all the work. Now, in the Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. In the Greek, this word abide means to stay, it means to rest, it means to continue or to stand firm. What is Jesus telling us to do? Rest, stand firm. He's asking us to remain firm in him. He's not asking us to do anything else. He's saying, you remain or continue stand to stand firm in me. The beauty of this text, the beauty of this text is that the branches are only required to abide in the vine. Whew, I'm free. Isn't that freeing? All Jesus is asking us to do is to simply abide. In Jesus's day, um, they, would, they would prune and, and uh, they would prune vines uh, uh, in several different ways. Uh, sometimes they would they would pinch the tips off of the top to prevent uh, the the branches from becoming too long. And um, sometimes they would pinch the shoots. I'm sorry and 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 they would pinch the shoots so that the branches would grow slowly. They would cut the branches, the bigger branches, they would cut them off so they wouldn't grow so big and and hang over. Why did they do this? They did this so that in the next season, that branch would bear good fruit. The purpose of pruning is to maximize a high-yielding quality grape. It allows adequate growth for the following season. And in order to maximize a crop's yield, grapevines were trained for a specific system. Grapevines are trained for a specific system. The father does the first part of the pruning for the believer. He cuts all of the old dead stuff off of us. He does this so that we will maximize the quality, don't miss this, the quality of the fruit that we must bear. This pruning helps to train us to a specific system. When God prunes the believer, he's pruning us to his system. What God's system does for us is it helps us to bear more fruit. Now, when you look at pruning and you look at branches being cut away, in my mind, that's a painful process. I I don't know about you, but when I think about something being pinched off or cut off or trimmed back, when I think about that process, I don't see that being a joyful process. How many of you know I'm talking right? What has God used to prune you? What areas in your life has he used to prune you so that in the next season you bear much fruit? For some, it could be the loss of a job. For others, there may be a a loss of a house or a loss of a loved one or a loss of a friend. For me, it was the loss of a business. You know, I was a photographer back in my, before I became a full-time pastor, I, I was a photographer. I had a photography company, my wife and I opened years ago. And 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 this is what people used to say to me. They used to say, man, you are good. That's That's what they said. You were supposed to laugh, but... I I guess it wasn't funny because it was a pruning process, right? (laughs) So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you not laughing because it was really tough when the Lord closed that door on me. When he shut the door to that business, he was pruning me. And I didn't realize that he was pruning me that I might bear more fruit and that fruit that I've bared comes in the, in the form of the Pursuit Church Memphis. There, there are people in the church that wouldn't be in the church had God not closed that door for me, had God not pruned me. What am I saying to you? Be encouraged when God is pruning you. Because when he's pruning you, that means he's getting ready to use you. And when he uses you, you will bear much fruit. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I'm glad you want to know. You know, we use all of these terms in church and, and we assume that everybody knows what it means to abide. How does that practically flesh out in our lives? I'm glad you want to know. It means that you are being intentionally about a holistic growth in this new life of Christ. It includes but not, does not limit spiritual growth, physical growth, mental, and intellectual growth, it means that we put a high value on our relationship with the Father. It means that we value our relationship with God so much so that we abide. Abiding in Christ prepares you to bear much fruit. Abiding is the act of your will. It is an act of my will. Your heart so loves God that it's moved to, 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 to move closer, to get to know him more intimately. There are three disciplines that I've found that will help a Christ follower abide in Christ holistically. There are three. three. There's spiritual discipline, physical discipline, and financial discipline. First, spiritual discipline. Um, This is something that every new believer needs to learn, spiritual discipline. One of the things we do in our church is as soon as someone comes to Christ, we teach them not to come to church, but we teach them to wake up in the morning and pray, (laughs) communicate with the Father. We teach them to study the Bible, listen to the Father, and then we teach them to fast, deny yourself. The only way we can become intimate with God is by pr- through prayer, listening at his word or, or reading his word. And what do you mean by listening to his word? Well, listen, we live in the 21st century and there is no excuse for biblical illiteracy. If you have a nice uh, iPhone or whatever, those other knockoffs. OK, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, those other gadgets, it'll read it to you. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, what we're talking about is we're talking about those those things that move us close to God. In Leviticus, in Leviticus, uh, chapter 20, verse seven and eight, it talks about um, uh, being consecrated. These spiritual disciplines is the base of the Christian life. It cultivates holiness. And let me say this. Holiness is not a denomination. Come on, somebody. It's a lifestyle, Right. Holiness is not a denomination. Look at what Jesus, I mean, look at what the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20. It says, consecrate, verse 7. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be what? Holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statues and do them. I'm the Lord who does what? Sanctifies you. In the Hebrew, consecration and sanctification, they come from the same word. Consecration um, It it is translated in in Hebrew, and sanctification are translated from the same word. Uh, It means, consecration means to devote, it means devoting or setting apart anything to the worship or service of God. Consecration, when you consecrate yourself, you are devoting, you are setting yourself apart for the worship or service of God. Sanctify or sanctification in the Hebrew is the act of making something clean and holy. You know the difference between the two? They both come from the same Hebrew word. The difference is this. The difference is who's doing the acting. You consecrate you. I consecrate me. But it's God who does the sanctifying. We set ourselves apart through fasting, through praying and studying God's word we consecrate ourselves. we deny our flesh so that we could be used for the service, thereby bearing more fruit where God is the sanctifier. It is he who cleanses our hearts. And that's why he says, abide as branches in the vine. The only thing you have to do is set yourself apart by getting to know him, being intimately acquainted. In his book, uh, Because We Love Him, Embrace a, Embracing the Life of Holiness, Clyde Cranford says this, and I recommend you getting this book. This is it's a really challenging book. Um, he says this: consecration is our response to God's work of sanctification. In sanctification, God set us apart for, uh, from the world <clears throat> unto Himself. In consecration, we set ourselves apart; we give ourselves to God for His purpose. Holiness, your holiness depends upon transactions. Holiness depends upon transactions between you and God, between me and God. Holiness depends on the amount of transactions that we have. The more transactions we have with God, the holier we become. The more transactions we have with God, the holier we become. The more transactions we have with God, the holier we become, the cleaner we become. We deny ourselves. We become more useful because of these transactions with God. God is a holy God. We are not holy. The only way that we can get holiness is through our transactions with God. We become holy through him. The holiness that is extended through Christ can be ours as long as we are making these transactions. So, I hear somebody. I hear you. How do we make these transactions? I love you guys. <laughs> you, you got good questions. How do, how do we make these transactions? Uh, we talked about prayer we talked about uh, studying the Bible, Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from, uh, from your mouth, but you shall meditate there day and night. Uh, so studying and meditating the word. We talked about fasting. What's another way uh, <clears throat> that, that we, can, we can become holy? Well, studying, fasting, and prayer. Let's look at physical discipline, and I'm going to run right through this. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, For while the body... For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of more valuable in every way. Uh, how many of you like to exercise and work out? Raise your hand. Notice my hand did not go up. All right. So for those of us like me that didn't raise our hand, it is important that we exercise uh, the, the CDC, I, well, I think the American Exercise Association, somebody uh, I was reading, only say that um, a, an adult needs 2.5 hours of exercise a week. And so he, here, here's why physical exercise helps you abide in Christ. The more physically fit you are, the more more you are able to be used by God, the more energy you got. So when he asks you to go on a mission trip, when he asks you to go talk to your neighbors, you have the energy to do it. Amen, somebody. And finally, financial discipline. This is is important. Um, Years ago, um, there was a point in my life that I was financially debt free. I enjoyed debt freedom. Listen, I I didn't have to window shop. I could go to the mall, and if I wanted to buy something, I could do it. I wasn't worried about bills. I wasn't worried about eating anything. Uh, I could buy what I wanted. Then I turned 18. (laughs) And I went and financed the car, my mom put me out. See, some of the kids think that when, you know, like I used to, I was financially free. I had, you know, I, I was dead free. I could go and cut the light on and voila, the lights would turn on and I could go to the refrigerator and, and food would be there. But when I began to lose that financial freedom, it was cut the light on and pray. <laughs> Lord, let it come on. It's, there's nothing in the refrigerator, so I guess I'll fast. Financial, the the way we steward our finances, being um, disciplined in our finances helps us. And here's how it helps us. Money, your debt determines how much money you need. How much money you need determines how much time you have. How much time you have determines how much you can actually do for the kingdom. I thought y'all would shout on that one, but let me try it again. (laughs) The amount of debt you have determines the amount of money you need. The amount of money you need determines how much time you have. The amount of time you have determines how much you can actually impact the kingdom by being urban missionaries or uh, just everyday missionaries. In America, it is a shame the type of debt that we are in. If we, and, and here's what I found with discipleship. The reason that people are not able to make disciples and if you've ever been in a discipleship relationship with anyone, and what I'm talking about is one-on-one, where you're spending time with a, a guy or a girl, uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest enemy is time. And the reason the enemy is time is because people got to trade time for dollars to get out of debt. Amen, somebody. Now, that's not for everybody. That don't mean everybody is, is in debt or working is, is an issue. But what I am saying is if our motives are not right, and our financial um, disciplines are not right, then it would, it would hinder our time in inviting Christ. And here's, 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 here's what I mean. So you got to, uh, when you wake up, you're going to pray. You're going you're gonna to read your Bible. And, and, and I know somebody, don't raise your hand, but you've probably been there. You got re- to read your Bible, and you're going to pray this morning, right? So you get up early, and then all of the things that you got to do that day start running through your head. Okay, I'm the only one that's done that. Sorry. Okay, but yeah, it happens. So everything that I got to do is running through my head and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. So it is important that we not only be spiritually disciplined, physically disciplined and financially disciplined. That helps us as it relates to abiding in Christ. My encouragement is this. We all should seek the Lord while he may be found. Jesus is coming back. He's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. We, as the body of Christ, must abide holistically in Jesus Christ. We must abide in the vine holistically through spiritual disciplines, physical discipline, and financial discipline. Um, I found that there we all have good sides of the family, and then we have sides of the family that we are ashamed of. Amen. Am I the only one like that? Well, the more family, is the worst family to be around. They have some bad folks. In, in, in their family, um, um, they're just up to no good. There's some, there's some mores that are up to no good. Uh, number one, get more is the ringleader. His brother want more is a close second. Need more is not, he's not a bit of good. He's always up to no good. Buy more is always trying to take your money. And don't forget their Grandfather. Dr. Dumore will have you working like a Hebrew slave. But just like we all have bad sides of our family and good sides of our family, um, the Moors have some good people in their family. They got Miss Pray More and, and Serve More and Evan More and Disciple More. And this will help us produce, their, their, their grandmother is produce more fruit. Now, her name is hyphenated. Her name is hyphenated. She, she, she married into the fruit clan. So her, her, her name is hyphenated. is more fruit. So she produced more fruit. Uh, this side of the Moore family will help you to abide in Christ. I once heard a man explain uh, that when you abide in Christ, he, he, he explained that he heard this from a preacher who heard it from a preacher. And so now you're about to hear it from a preacher. So when you share it, um, it'll make you seem like you're really smart, you know, and like you really came up with this. But you don't have to tell people you you didn't come up with it. But I'm telling you, I didn't, this is not mine, okay? I'm just going to be honest. But he says this, what gives life and provides the needed nutrients to the vine, and I'm closing, starts from the stock and work its way to the branches. What does that is the sap. A branch receives sap Or all branches that are receiving sap will have life and it will bear much fruit. As it travels through the branches, it gives the branches the nutrients that cause them to bear fruit. When the sap comes to a branch and that branch has opened up and allows the sap to move through it, if the sap comes to a branch that will not open up to it, that branch will not bear fruit. So when the vine dresser comes along, he cuts the fruitless branch. As a disciple of Christ, as disciples, we must open the door of our lives and our heart to allow the free-flowing sap of the Holy Spirit to rule our lives. He will lead you and guide you. He will cause you to bear fruit as long as you stay open to him. How full of sap are uh, the, the Opening up to Christ, opening up to the Holy Spirit will fill you with sap. The Holy Spirit is the sap that fills the believer. The Holy Spirit rests, rules, and abides in the believer. The Holy Spirit will fill us if we make ourselves available. And by doing so, we can bear much fruit. My question to you is this, how full of sap are you? As I begin to close, I, I would ask that you would take and accept this challenge. If you are a believer, Jesus is not asking you to do anything but abide in him. Abiding in him means that we make transactions between us and God. And those transactions make us more like him. If you are not a believer, if you are the branch that's being cut because you are closing the door to the sap that's knocking, you can't bear much fruit. You can't bear any fruit. Jesus came, lived a sinless life that we might have the right to the tree of life. If you are not a believer, you are not producing fruit. And the truth of the matter is, You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you come through Jesus. My encouragement is that believers and non-believers alike open up the door so that the sap may run freely, that we may abide in Christ and produce much fruit. Father, thank you for the fruit that we will see because of your word. Father, thank you that you are working on the hearts of boys and girls, men and women in this church and around the world at this very hour. Lord, I ask that you would save those that need salvation. Pray, God, that you would help those of us that are working to get closer to you, God, to just learn that all we have to do is abide. Father, we thank you for Jesus who is the vine, and we're the branches, and we just ask God, in Jesus' name, that you would help us this week to abide in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.